Your finances will leave a long-lasting impact on your family. After all, you only retire once. If you're looking to discuss all things pertaining to your retirement, you've come to the right place. This is Retirement Matters with Michael Stewart. Once again, back here on Retirement Matters with Michael Stewart, founder at Crystal Lake Tax and Financial. What's going on, my friend? How are you? I'm doing excellent. How are you doing, Mark? I'm doing pretty good. Did you have a nice uh, Valentine's uh, weekend, a weekend, week, whatever it was? It was a Friday, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you should ask my wife that question. That's the that's the important answer, right? Yeah, exactly. but yeah but a nice meal, a little bit of wine, so uh, time well spent. There you go. Good, good stuff. Well, uh, of course, uh, we're back here once again to talk about investing, finance, and retirement with Michael. And as I mentioned, he is the founder at Crystal Lake Tax and Financial. As always, you can check him out online at crystallaketax.com. That is crystallaketax.com. And uh, see, speaking of big dogs at companies, recent survey showed that corporate CEOs and CFOs are pessimistic about the economy in 2020, while the consumers obviously tend to still feel pretty optimistic. Who's right, in your opinion? Uh, I think common sense will pretty much tell you who's probably right in the end game here. You know, and that's probably that the CEOs and the CFOs, they have a longer outlook. And they're also in charge of making decisions whether to hire, fire, build, invest for the next six months, year, five years. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking they might have a slightly better finger on the economic pulse. Consumers are just that. They consume. You know, that's me, that's you, that's every mom and pop out there. So as long as the market's going up, as long as their paycheck comes in every Friday or every other Friday, and then they're going to do what they do, spend money, consume. Now, when the economy pulls back, that's when the consumer, that's when people start getting concerned about all of a sudden their investments might be dropping in value, or they're starting to question how secure their job is going to be. And that's when they dial back to kind of compound the problem and they stop consuming. So the CEOs and CFOs, they're being proactive. They're reading the future tea leaves as to where the economy is trending, be it good or bad. And in the survey, you know, not very optimistic. But the consumer survey, and this is what's really important for everybody to understand on this topic, the consumer is a lagging indicator. It's after the damage has already been done, after the market tanked, after the unemployment rate ticks up, after everything starts slowing, because they're just reacting to the economic reality that they face. The CEOs and CFOs are trying to be proactive about it and put plans in place now with what they see coming down the pipeline. Now, that's a good way of looking at it. And obviously, at the time of this taping, there's a lot going on globally with the global economics, with the uh, with the situation with China and things as that's been playing out. So that's kind of caused some interesting stuff. So yeah, we'll see how things continue to shake out. But it's always interesting. I think that's a great way of looking at it. We do tend to lag behind as consumers uh, and how it affects us once it kind of happens or, you know, after it kind of has something, something, whatever that something might be. So uh, very cool. Good way of looking at that. Well, let's jump into our topic then. And it's actually going to kind of deal with the a similar really kind of a thought process, really, Michael. And that's just how to account for emotions when it comes to financial planning uh, for the, some of the reasons you just kind of pointed out. You know, we tend to be reactionary after the fact. So I think most of us like to think that we make our decisions based on logic. And, you know, I pr- we probably do. I don't know if I'd go 50-50, but <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> but the truth is that emotions obviously play a, a much bigger factor in a lot of these things. So what types of emotions do you find are likely to drive uh, financial decisions? Is it just the two standards, the fear and greed? Uh, yeah, I think there's, there's subcategories of them. The, you know, the, the two emotions that drive financial decisions are truly just fear and greed. But if you think about it, there's kind of subcategories of each. On the fear side, 
part of it's fear of loss, right? Peer, okay. People just don't, they remember the pain more than they remember, you know, all the gain that they got because mm-hmm. it's more painful to see something go away, especially money that you once had. Right. So there's, there's that fear of loss. There's also the fear of missing out. You know, they call it the FOMO, you know, fear of missing out. And if you think about how the markets have relatively, you know, just rocketed higher for the last 10 years off the last crisis, everybody says, well, I got to stay involved. I got to stay aggressive. I got to keep taking all this risk because I don't want to miss out on any potential upside. And that's what leads to the other emotion, greed. So we all tend to have, psychologists call it behavioral psychology and behavioral investing, where they talk about something called recency bias. So recency bias is when people say, well, this is what just happened. So that's what the future is going to look like as well. So -hmm. if you think about how the markets have shot straight up, a lot of people kind of forgot that between like 2000 to 2013, we had two bear markets and the markets were basically flat for almost 13 years. Right. As far as 2000, it took till 2013 for the markets to get above where they were in 2000. So the recency bias is people looking back and say, oh, 2019, you know, good part of the, everything made money. A good part of the markets were up 20, 30 plus percent. So that's what's going to happen in 2020. But what that makes emotionally is you kick in the greed and say, okay, well, I got to get me some of that. I got to try to squeeze the next 5%, the next 10% out of the upside. But what they're kind of the contrarian side of it is and to try to get that next 5 or 10%, they're risking potential losses of 20, 30 50%. And what I do is I share with clients kind of a casino analogy. Now, once again, most of our clients are either in retirement or near, you know, so we're not 20 and 30 year olds that are just kind of plugging away for a retirement that's 40 years away. For a lot of our clients, retirement is either here or it's right around the corner. So I use a casino analogy and say, okay, with that, how far the markets have come since we've had, you know, a significant bear market or any kind of big drawdown. I say, okay, would you, you know, you go into Vegas or the local casino and you belly up and if you win, you win 10 bucks. But if you lose, you lose 40 or 50. How long would you play that game? You know, so I wouldn't. Well, that's <laughs> right. kind of what you're doing by taking too much risk right now in a market and a business cycle that really hasn't had a significant correction in nearly a decade. So, you know, the two biggest emotions, fear, both fear of loss and fear of missing out, but also greed in trying to think that tomorrow's going to look like yesterday when, in fact, history will tell us that won't be the case. All right. So let's talk mistakes then. Uh, what are the, besides the one you just pointed out, what are some of the, I guess, maybe more common that you see people making because of the emotional decision choices? Yeah, the two biggest mistakes that, that I've seen over my 20 years as a financial planner is, one, letting emotion, and that's our topic, letting emotion rather than their financial plan, the retirement success blueprint we put together for them, letting that emotion determine what their decision making is, be it an up market or down market, rather than actually say, what does the plan say? Is it getting us closer or farther to our goals if we make these decisions right now? The second part of it is kind of that common sense. You know, common sense isn't always common practice. So, you know, when you ask somebody, okay, you know, what, what have you heard over your entire lifetime since a kid about investing? And it's buy low, sell high. Great, that makes perfect sense. It's a lot easier said than done, but okay, yeah, that makes perfect sense. So now that you're nearing or in retirement and the market's shot straight up for 10 years, do you think that we're high or we're low? Oh my God, we're high. I'm worried about it. Okay, so if you were going to take some money off the table, would you take it off when it's high or when it's low? Oh, well, when it's high. So once again, if it's gone straight up for 10 years, should we be taking money off or adding money in? You know, and everybody's scenario is going to be different, right. but that's where the common sense isn't always common practice. It's, uh, you know, they understand what to do. They just need kind of a, a Sherpa or guide to kind of tell them, okay, now's that time. 
Okay, so let's kind of fall into that a little bit more. Are there times when it's appropriate to factor in those emotional components? Um, I, you know, when I'm sitting here asking you this, the first thing that I would think of a lot of times for our listening audience is maybe over the house, for example. I'm sure you have others, but that's one thing I would think of is like it weighs heavily on whether you keep the house you raise the kids in, for example. No, I agree with you on that one. So, you know, when you consider emotions uh, is I keep going back to the plan. What does the plan say? Because, you know, we, we, if we honestly put a plan together, we determined at what point we may or may not do something with that house, you know, where we raise the kids and maybe the grandkids come over and swing in the tire in the, in the lawn like your own kids did and those kind of things. You know, emotions should come into play only two different times. One is when you've kind of built that into the plan and said, okay, I understand what can happen here, good and bad. And under these circumstances, you know, let's say keep the house or sell the house, it's going to be based on that. The second part of it is going to be that if as you're doing that plan, the plan might call for one thing. And then when you're sitting down there kind of designing that plan with the fiduciary advisor that you're working with, And you say, okay, but if this happened, no, I would not stick with that plan. You know, if the markets fell 20%, I was down 12, I'm out. You know, I'm not going to see it go down to 30 or 40 or something like that. Uh Once again, that's part of that planning process. Because if emotionally you've had that conversation as you built out that plan, now all of a sudden you're never going to be in a position to take that kind of risk so that emotion can't be the driver as far as the decision making that you're doing. Instead, Mm. you've just built that into at no point would I ever want to be subject to, you know, X, whatever that is. And that that applies on the upside and the downside. So what I think that lets you do is kind of squeeze the middle a little bit so that you can maybe not eliminate, but reduce how much impact the emotions actually have in that decision making process. Okay. All right. Very interesting. Well, you're listening to us here on Retirement Matters with Michael Stewart talking about how to account for emotions in the financial plan. So we'll finish off with an example sometimes as I ask you to do, Mike. Um, Maybe when you've taken those emotions, you constructed a plan. You've talked a lot about having the plan and made it work uh, not only mathematically, but also emotionally. Yeah. So, so, you know, I, and I think I mentioned it earlier, you know, our, our trademark planning process is called the Retirement Success Blueprint. And what it is, is, you know, it sounds fancy just because that's what the marketing department makes us do. But what it really is, is it covers five key areas. So retirement income, where is it coming from? And is it sustainable and predictable? And is it enough? Investment risk, how much risk do we need to take to accomplish our goals? Tax planning, you know, we talked about that, you know, last time about Roth conversions and things about how do we either pay less taxes today or less taxes over our lifetime. Fourth thing is going to be healthcare, long-term care, you know, so are we bridging to Medicare? What are we claiming for Medicare? Are we concerned about long-term care, assisted living? How do we mitigate that potential impact? And then the fifth thing is legacy, so our estate planning. So when times are good or bad, we ask, what does the plan say? Because if we've put a plan together that manages all five areas there, our income, our risk, our taxes, our health care and long-term care, and our final disposition for estate planning, then whether markets are up or down or sideways or life throws us a curveball with an illness or something, what does the plan say? Because if we've put a good plan together, then we've already mitigated what could go wrong. At least we have kind of a plan B for it. And then, so we just ask, would the decisions that we make emotionally move us closer or further towards accomplishing the goals that we have, no matter what those goals are? Because honestly, doing nothing is still making a decision. A lot of people, especially if the markets get a little riled or there's some big change in their life, they jump up and they say, okay, I got to do something. I got to do something. But the reality is sometimes doing nothing, if you've planned for it, is still making a decision and making the right decision. So if you've addressed those five areas, 
then you can have confidence in your retirement. And so on the emotional side, that's where when you're going through that planning process and you say, okay, income wise, all right, so here's how much we need. We'll talk about, say, it's a great income plan. But now what happens if, you know, let's say it's a married couple, one of you doesn't wake up tomorrow. Is it still a good income plan? Can the other spouse still be okay? We talk about the investment risk. If this good or bad happened in the markets, how would we react to it? Would our plan survive that? If not, then we have to tweak it. If so, then we're in a good spot. So I think that how you begin to remove, emotion's always going to be part of it, both mathematically you know, and emotional as far as plans go. But what we've got to do is say, okay, let's think about the what ifs. How do we mitigate the potential damage of what could go wrong? And chances are we're going to do better over time because we've kind of built in these things that will get these roadblocks out of the way. All right. Well, there you go. Well, a very, very interesting and fascinating conversation, as we usually have here on the program. And we were talking about emotions and how it factors into our financial planning here on Retirement Matters. As always, go check them out online at crystallaketax.com. That's crystallaketax.com. You can submit an email question to the show if you'd like. You can also subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, and other outlets. And speaking of emails, we've got one from Emily in St. Charles for you. She says, it appears that I am now able to contribute more to my 401k this year than I was allowed to last year. Is it safe to assume I should go ahead and just bump up to the extra amount? So, Emily, two things in that. One, I will answer your question. Uh, Two, I love St. Charles. It's right on the river. They got some nice bed and breakfast and some nice places down there. So, you live in an amazing place. Okay, now back to your question. So, Emily, (laughs) the 401k contributions increased for those under 50 up to $19,500 and an additional $6,500 more up to $26,000 total for those over 50. So $19,500 if you're under 50, $26,000 if you're over 50. Now, other plans have different limits, but you asked specifically about the 401k. So whether or not you should increase contributions really comes down to several factors. One, you know, what's the match you're getting from your company? You always contribute up to that match because it's free money. Two, what tax bracket are you in? It may make more sense for you to contribute to a Roth IRA or your Roth 401k, pay some of those taxes today at these low tax rates, so that going forward, every dollar actually grows tax-free thereafter. So let's say you you, uh, deposited up to the company match, then you funded your Roth IRA at six or $7,000, then you maybe go back to the 401k and contribute to either the traditional pre-tax or the Roth 401k if it's available. Now, for some, as an example, you know, and we're currently working on a retirement success blueprint, a financial plan with a client that between Social Security, his pension, his wife's Social Security, and what they've already saved in their 401k, they actually have enough. You know, it's a great place to be. I can tell them you won the game, so stop playing the game. So what we talked about is actually stopping the 401k contributions. You know, so we'll do the 3% match, you know, that the company's going to give us because that's free money. But after that, we're actually not even contributing to the 401k anymore. And most people say, well, shouldn't you save more? Well, we've ran the plan and they're going to be okay financially, including whatever we do with the retirement accounts. But now they can redirect that $26,000 that normally would be going into the 401k towards paying down the mortgage so that by the time he retires in the next five years, his current 401k will continue just to grow and do whatever it's going to do. Because once again, remember, we had already saved enough. We'd figure that out. But now by almost doubling the mortgage payments, five years from now, when he enters retirement, he's going to be 100% debt-free, no mortgage, no car payments. So even his income need in retirement is even less. 
Now, that's just a way of saying, okay, where's the best place to the money? put the money? So, Emily, you're asking about, should I bump up my 401k contributions? And the real answer is, it depends. Of course, always saving more is a good thing, but at the same time, there might be more efficient places that that money could go depending on what you need it to do. Now, once again, that doesn't apply to everybody, but for some, it's the right idea if they've already saved enough. So, Emily, what I'd do is I'd sit down with a financial planner, somebody who's a fiduciary who has to act in your best interest, and just see what makes the most sense for you in your specific circumstances. Because as you see, there's a lot of different variables. You know, what do you do up to the company match? What about a Roth IRA, a Roth 401k? Should I even be contributing? Have I saved enough? Have I not? Those are all questions that a fiduciary advisor could actually sit down with you, kind of give you a roadmap on what you should be doing with every dollar, not only for retirement, but just even on the side, some personal things that are going to allow you to have a safe and secure retirement. Well, to follow up with that conversation, just reach out to Michael, as he mentioned, get on the calendar and have a chat with him. 815-526-3092. That's 815-526-3092 to talk with Michael and the team at Crystal Lake Tax and Financial, that one-stop shop at Crystal Lake with the CPA, the enrolled agent, the paralegal, and all things when it comes to, uh, well, things that, you know, retirement matters. And that's the name of the show. As always, Michael, thanks for being here, my friend. I appreciate your time and uh, and glad you guys had a nice uh, Valentine's. Hope our listeners did too and hopefully they got something useful of uh, this week's program and i appreciate you all right next time we talk it will be acc tournament tar heels will be healthy and we'll be getting ready to go to the march madness oh yeah well (laughs) i don't know roy Roy might have something different to say about the tar heels (laughs) he's not been too happy with them this year but anyway thank you so much for your time we appreciate it folks we'll see you next time here on retirement matters don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on apple google spotify iheart and other platforms we'll see you next time Investment advisory services offered through Sound Income Strategies, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisory firm. The information provided herein is for training or educational purposes only and does not constitute an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any securities, investments, investment strategies, or investment advice relating to securities, nor is the information or representation that any security is a suitable or appropriate investment for any person. Before acting on any advice, you should consider the appropriateness of the advice having regard to your own objectives, financial situation and needs. Please contact us to obtain our disclosure brochure relating to the services offered by Sound Income Strategies, LLC, and consider its contents before making any decisions. Where quoted, past performance is not indicative of future performance. Sound Income Strategies, LLC does not represent or warrant that the contents of this program are suitable for you from a compliance, regulatory, legal, or any other perspective. We shall have no responsibility for your use or non-use of the program or any portion thereof. Crystal Lake Tax and Financial and Sound Income Strategies, LLC are not associated entities.